Hi, I'm Stephanie Moore, a public relations professor in the School of Media and Journalism, and this is Around the Sphere. Welcome to Around the Sphere, the podcast of the School of Media and Journalism at Kent State University, produced and recorded by MDJ's students, faculty, and staff, just for you. The 2022 Super Bowl was last Sunday, February 13th, and to be honest, I couldn't even tell you what teams were playing. But I could tell you all about my favorite commercials. Last week, before the big game, MDJ alum and professional in residence Mike Jackson sat down with MDJ advertising junior Christy Cecil to talk about his experience creating ads for the Super Bowl, managing the media buzz that comes from a controversial commercial, and making predictions for this year's Super Bowl ads. Let's find out if they were right. You can learn more about Mike Jackson's trailblazing career at the link in the show notes. As one of your students, I got to see two Super Bowl spots that you were a part of during your time at General Motors. Can you talk a little bit about those? You know, my last year at General Motors was was really just eventful. I mean, we were coming off a year in 2005 where the company lost a significant amount of money. I think it was in the range of like $8 billion for the year. We had put a lot of things in place in late 2005 into 2006. We literally trimmed the loss from you know eight billion in 05 to less than one billion in, in 2006. In 2007, we were just poised for growth, poised to kind of get the company finally turned around after four or five years of just some very, very hard, very tough, challenges, repositioning the brands, you know, making decisions regarding demand building and how we would approach the marketplace. It was very interesting because we had set out the Super Bowl the year before, obviously for financial reasons. And so coming into 2007, we had, I think we had 12 new vehicles that we were launching and we took to the stage at the Super Bowl to, to really, we actually had three spots on that Super Bowl. One was a brand spot for the GM brand. It was called Robot. It ended up being very, very controversial, um, mainly because um, all the research basically said that if we could humanize the robot, which was a robot that was being deployed on the assembly line and really kind of leave consumers with the message that things had changed at General Motors and were really focused on quality. I thought it was excellent. It was done. It was also at a time where there were a lot of controversial spots on the Super Bowl. If you remember back in those days was when Eminem Mars had the two guys that were fighting for the Snickers and they kissed on <laughs> on TV. Needless to say, most of the news outlets the morning after the Super Bowl, they tended to focus on the shaw and awe of what happened. And so they highlighted our spot. Unfortunately, the Society for the Prevention of Suicide got really up in arms and caused a lot of, put a lot of pressure on us. And frankly, it was a fun-loving spot. It was positioned as a dream. But nevertheless, the publicity that we got from the spot, because it was very polarizing. Either you loved it, and a lot of people loved it and told us about it. Even a lot of the media reported on it very positively and asking folks to calm down. It was best basically just a dream. But nevertheless, that was a lot of fun. The second spot we did was, I look at um, Mary J. Blige. She's doing the halftime show of the Super Bowl. So we featured Mary J. Blige in a, in a Chevy spot 
called Eight We Got Love. And what we were trying to do then is there were, we, we did research and there was about six, five, 600 songs that featured Chevy or Chevrolet in the lyrics. And so we wanted to take advantage of that equity and how could we use music to engage the brand in a new and different light. And so we had Big and Rich, we had our NASCAR drivers, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr. We had Mary J. Blige kind of leading it. It was very, very fun. It ranked in the top 10 of all Super Bowl spots that year. That's something that we were were pretty proud of. The third spot was really, for the first time, a user-generated spot. So we conducted a contest for college students and we had 200, Uh, universities and over 800 participants and we basically gave them a brief and asked them to come up with a spot an idea a concept for one of our new vehicles a young lady from uh, Minneapolis she won and we literally produced her spot to the T it was called hot in here it took advantage of a very popular kind of hip-hop song that was out I think it was Nelly I don't know who wrote that hot in here song I can't remember but Nevertheless, we produced a spot that the idea came from the student. It was very well done by our agency. The young lady that you know won the spot, she ended up winning a scholarship and going on live TV after the Super Bowl on the Good Morning America and you know talking about it. You know, I appeared on a bunch of news shows that week just leading up to the fact that you know we wanted to use the opportunity to engage young people across the country into the Chevy brand. And the best way to do that was to get them involved at a brief level to really kind of understand what we were trying to accomplish and generate ideas and concepts that ultimately, while we featured the only one in the Super Bowl, a lot of the insights that we gained from that time, we used in additional marketing, future marketing campaigns. So a lot of fun in 2007. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. You talked about it a bit already, but can you talk a little bit more about the after effects of a Super Bowl commercial. How do you manage all the buzz around the commercial and the brand? And how does the company do anything to celebrate? Yeah, you know, when you're, you know, you're in the middle of it, there's really no time for celebration because, you know, back in 2007, you were getting the emergence of digital and digital media with traditional media. And so a lot of our follow-up work was to ensure that in the digital space, that our presence was very, very consistent. And so not a lot of celebrating. The funny part about it is I, you know, had tickets for the Super Bowl, but I had a commitment in Las Vegas. And so the morning of the Super Bowl, I actually had to fly from, I think Super Bowl was in Miami. I had to fly to Las Vegas because we were hosting uh, called National Association of Automotive Dealers. And Big, huge event out in Vegas, and I was speaking at that. So I was able to watch the Super Bowl, and as I was watching the Super Bowl, the CEO of our company, he kept calling, saying, hey, I'm at a party here. People really, really are enjoying it. Good, good work. Congratulations. And so that was all the real celebrating that we did, but it was really a, a learning experience for the company, one that you know really told us that if you're going to be a big brand, you got to participate on the biggest stage. And when you participate on the biggest stage, you got to take risk and you got to manage those risks accordingly. Not everybody's going to like your Super Bowl spot. You're going to get a lot of feedback. It's the, I think, 25% of the people that watch the Super Bowl, they're watching for the ads. They're not even watching for the game. So it's a very, very high profile. But again, if you're going to play in that space, you got to be on that stage. 
So I believe you manage the second largest advertising media budget at General Motors. How much of that budget went into the Super Bowl commercials? Well, if you if you think about it, not not a lot at the at the time. Our budget was second to only Procter and Gamble. I've got my classes listening to Jim Stingle, who is the ex CMO of uh, P and G and colleague of mine. But he managed the single largest advertising budget in the U.S. and and, and I managed the second largest budget, and it was about three point two billion dollars was our was our entire budget and. It broke down into, you know, measured media being in the kind of billion and a half range. We included sponsorships in that realm as well. We had a lot of sponsorships, as you can imagine, of teams and in, in just different entities around the country. Because while we're a national brand, it's kind of a local business, the car business with, with, with dealers being present in their local communities. And so the way to look at the cost of a Super Bowl spot, I think at the time, the actual 30 seconds was about $3.2, maybe $3.5 million per 30 seconds. We actually had three, oh, two of the spots were 30 seconds and the one spot was 60 seconds. So we actually had two minutes of time. The cost is pretty significant, obviously. I think it's up to $7 million per spot this year. But what you really had to consider is just the sheer amount of time and effort that your team takes, as well as the production cost. The production cost for the robot spot was north of probably $2 million. Similarly, with the spot produced by the, the young student that won the, the contest, that was probably an $800,000 production budget. And then the spot with Mary J. Blige and Dale Earnhardt Jr., that was probably another $2 million production budget. So fairly significant cost for both media and production. But the real cost is just the sheer amount of people across the company that literally get involved with it. Obviously, your agencies on the creative side, you know, are spending weeks in planning. And so the cost is more kind of human capital than financial. Now, looking forward to this year's Super Bowl, what can we expect from brands this Super Bowl? Do you think brands might take on a different stance because of COVID, or do you think the ads will look generally the same as they have in the past? That's a really, really great question. And I think what I've been hearing and, and what I've been seeing is it's almost like there's going to be a lot of comedy, a lot of humor. There's going to be a ton of celebrities. And I think you're going to find that there's going to be some new entrants into the marketplace or new categories into the marketplace that had previously advertised. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, crypto, crypto.com, they're, they're on the stage this year. And then obviously the most interesting parallel is around Caesars and the online sports betting. You know, a few years back, as we talked about in our class, you would have never had betting associated with the NFL on the biggest stage called the Super Bowl. And a few years later, after that Supreme Court ruling, I know I live in Arizona, and they passed legalized sports betting. Online betting, last, I think, became effective last this past August. And you can't turn the TV on without being inundated with messaging messages from Caesars and Bally's and FanDuel. And it's just really, really interesting to see what the, the evolution of that. But I think we can expect a lot of celebrities, a lot of humor, and I think it's going to be a great return from a year ago when there was just a huge amount of uncertainty around the health and welfare of people around the world.
Is there a commercial or a brand that you're specifically looking forward to this year? I'm looking forward to Budweiser. They set out last year. I mean, they didn't set out, but their messaging, if you recall, was mm -hmm. one around health and safety, encouraging people to you know, take the vaccine. The vaccines were starting to, to be released. And so they dedicated significant time to delivering a very, very positive message during the game. But I understand that the Clydesdales are going to return. And uh, so I'm looking forward to see what Budweiser does. I, I always love, even when I competed against Budweiser Coors, I just admire their marketing. They're, they're just brilliant. And they use the Super Bowl like no other brand does, in my opinion. That's actually like the only reason why I really know about Budweiser is from watching their Super Bowl ads as a kid. So do you have an all-time favorite Super Bowl commercial? Oh, that's really tough. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, I gotta believe, and, and again, you guys are obviously a lot younger than me, but you know, the Mean Joe Green ad, Mean Joe Green was a football player for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was a big, burly, tough guy, and he appeared in the Coca-Cola commercial with a young 12-year-old that he gave his jersey. And obviously the tagline was, have a Coke and a smile. So I was with Coca-Cola back in those days, but I would say that that will go down as it's one of the top 10 of all time. And it's always been my favorite just because it captured the essence of the brand and it used a well-known personality like Mean Joe Green, who was obviously on top of its game with a, a young unknown kid and under the, the tagline of have a Coke and a smile. Finally, I have to ask, who are you rooting for the Super Bowl, the Bengals or the Rams? Well, being North Northeast Ohio native, it's really, you know, I, I grew up a Browns fan. I used to go to Browns camp. When Br the Browns left to go to Baltimore, um, I was not one of the ones who followed them back. I'm still kind of miffed that the original Browns ever left Cleveland. And so I find myself rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals. I, they're a fun team. They're young. And just the sheer fact that they were, what, 4-12 and 12 last year and, you know, just with great leadership and a few new players and, you know, just having the right attitude, uh, I hope they win the game. Well, before we finish, is there anything else you want to talk about? Your experience with the Super Bowl, your ex professional experience, anything about Kent State? No, I'm happy to be back here. It's as much of a learning experience for me as it is for the students to really be able to, you know, kind of take a step back, kind of really dig deep into the annals of my brain and try to come up with insights that the students would find valuable. That's, that's fun. I really enjoy it. If you're ever over in Franklin Hall, you want to stop by and have a conversation, you can find me. The name's Michael Jackson, but I go by Mike. So thanks a lot for having me. Thank you so much. It was great talking with you, and I'll see you at 9.15 a.m. tomorrow for our class. Oh, boy. Better <laughs> be ready. Thank you. Here on campus, students have plenty of ways to get hands-on experience in real-world settings. Kent State students have the opportunity to work for Teleproductions, a full-service video production center that produces live coverage of university events, including Mac games on ESPN+, and much more. We spoke with two students who work with Teleproductions. Let's listen to their stories. Hello, my name is Elliot Corin. 
I'm in my third year at Kent. I'm a digital media production major and I've been doing camera work for Kent State Teleproductions for around three years now. Something I really like about being a cameraman is that a lot of the time you're out in the space with the athletes and the crowd. So you're really like kind of like feeling the energy in the space and it's pretty exciting. I worked a basketball game on this past Saturday and it was you know, a pretty close game at points. There was a lot of back and forth and you can really like feel that like tension in the room and stuff like that kind of informs what you're shooting. So, you know, you have specific jobs that different cameras do, like the low cams under the net will get like foul points and the high cams will basically just get like a wide shot of the game. But during breaks, there's kind of a lot of like open time and you focus on whatever the commentators are talking about. And this game, player on the opposing team, Noah Farrakhan, was hitting a lot of like three point shots. And he was basically like swinging the game towards the opposing team all by himself. And that's what kind of like spun the story of the entire game. So the commentators are talking about him. The cameras are gonna like shoot him while there's like a break or a break in the action. And so there's this really interesting dynamic between the cameras and the director and the commentators because whatever you shoot and if the director takes to it, then the, the commentators will also see that on their screen and be able to commentate on that. And you can also listen to the commentators as a camera person and shoot what they're talking about. So it's very kind of like dynamic on the fly form of storytelling. And I think that's really what makes sports interesting to watch. It's not just about like the game and who scores more points and who wins. It's really about like the human elements and the stories that you're telling in each individual game. I've had the opportunity to work with different companies outside of Kent and it's different equipment, it's different people, but at its core it's really the same thing. Most of the things you learn at teleproductions are directly applicable to other jobs. You're working real games, you're using the real equipment. It's a really great way to get into that industry. Hi, my name is Joey Beardsley. I'm a junior here at Kent State University. I'm pursuing a degree in digital media production and I am a lead technical director slash director with Kent State Teleproductions. One of the great things about Teleproductions is the fact that it's majority student run, but one of the downsides of that is you're working around student schedules with winter breaks and especially COVID now, people getting sick, not being able to come, and then people who aren't on campus having to travel. One of the opportunities that I was given was over winter break last year. We were really short staffed because people had went home and weren't able to travel due to weather. And my producer, Josh Tanner, came up to me before one of our women's basketball events for ESPN and presented the opportunity for me to not only TD, but direct the game for that night. And obviously on the outside, I was like, yeah, I can absolutely do this. But on the inside, I was like, wow, this is a really big step because, I mean, this is live TV, it's live sports on a pretty well-known platform like ESPN. But with our major and our careers, it's definitely, you guys have goals. And obviously my goal would be to direct as a career. And I always try and make it a tendency to, when I work underneath of directors that are in the field, to kind of pick up on what they do. And that way I can apply that and make myself better in my position. 
So when I was presented with this opportunity, I kind of recalled everything that I've picked up from other directors and it kind of helped me prepare for that situation. The game came, everything went really well. Josh was really happy with my performance, how I handled everything. And I think this is a really important learning opportunity because in live sports, things happen very quickly and unexpectedly and you really don't have time to prepare it. So I definitely think a big learning curve is making sure that when you are presented with opportunities like this one to step up and do something that you may not be comfortable with. You want to make sure that you're always getting the tools and skills necessary to take on that challenge because now my producers can look to me in times of need and they'll know that I can step up to the call and I have what it takes to kind of get us through those productions. And I definitely think that's a really big part of our career no matter what if you're in live sports or news or being just a video creator in general. I think it's always trying to learn and better yourself that way when the time comes, you're able to step up and really meet the expectations of either your higher ups or clients or even yourself. So Kimmy, last episode, we were all business. I didn't even get a chance to ask you how your break was. How was it? It was really good. It was a really nice chance to unwind and relax and just have some time off before the semester. How was yours? Yeah, same. Uh, it was really refreshing to just unplug and just be with my family. And then, uh, you know, now here it is. Semester starts full steam ahead and it's February already. Already, I know. So every February, speaking of, we honor Black history and celebrate achievements by Black Americans during Black History Month. But did you know that Black History Month originated here on Kent State's campus? Yeah, in 1926, the second week in February was established as Negro History Week by the father of Black history, Carter G. Woodson. In 1969, Kent State's Black United Students Organization advocated for the entire month of February to be commemorated as Black History Month. After a year of students and educators advocating, the first observance of Black History Month was held at Kent State in 1970. The Student Multicultural Center has developed the hashtag BHM birthplace to pay tribute to those who fought for the month-long celebration. For more information and to find this month's celebrations on campus, you can find the link to the Student Multicultural Center in the show notes. This year's Black History Month theme is re-education of our history, so take some time to learn about Black history from Black historians. Well, it's time for our mailbag. We don't have any emails, but there was some really great chatter on Twitter from episode seven featuring Maddie and Anna in January. So that was really good to see. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please send it to us at mdjpodcast at kent.edu. We'd love to hear your feedback or about your soup. I was about to say yeah. your soup favorite bowl. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite soup bowl. I love it. <laughs> We'd love to hear your feedback or about your favorite Super Bowl ad this year. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe. We'll be back soon with some more episodes. Bye. All right. Goodbye. You've been listening to Around the Sphere. Please send us your thoughts, comments, and feedback at mdjpodcast at kent.edu. Music for this podcast was written and produced by Assistant Professor Scott Holgren. This episode was produced by Nicholas Underwood, digital media production major, and our podcast project manager is Kimmy Daniels, public relations major. This podcast was advised by MDJ director Emily Metzger. Special thanks to all the students, faculty, and staff who made this episode possible, and a very special thanks to you for listening. We'll see and hear you around the sphere. Thank you.